What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Welcome to another episode of What Got You There I'm your host Sean Delaney and today we're joined by Arda O'Call Art is a television personality, broadcaster, announcer, writer, and best known for his time in the WWE under the stage name Kyle Edwards. He's also the host of the MSG Hockey Show on MSG Network. Arda, thanks a lot for joining us today. Sean, I'm very happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Man, so you are a fascinating person. Uh, I've been following you for a while, checking out a bunch of your stuff, and I've been fortunate to exchange some emails with you. So really looking into diving into your story, uh, hearing more about what you've got going on in the past and also what you're currently working on. So just to get started, how did you start your day today? Uh, to be honest with you, I woke up about 15 minutes ago. Uh, I definitely start with a coffee. And uh, the first thing I do is uh, check my emails. Uh, give my girlfriend a kiss because she's off work today and more coffee a lot of coffee <laughs> a lot of coffee a lot of coffee i think coffee is the right answer i think coffee might always be the right answer there how many yeah. cups a day are you consuming <laughs> a lot to be honest with you and and this is probably one of my weakest uh traits is that especially if there's if it's like a if i'm if i'm somewhere where it's free. I'll just keep drinking it. it it's like, it's, it's, it's a bad, like, I don't know why, but I just feel like, you know how like things always taste better when they're, when they're free or when they're gifted to you or something. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like when you're out with a friend and their French fries just happen to taste better. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're eating their fry as opposed, as opposed to your own. Always so much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't know why, but like, cause like MSG network, for example, has a coffee machine. And I probably run through, I don't know, be like five or six. Now, to be fair, maybe two of those will be decaf. But still, I'm like just plowing through the coffees. Hey, perks so, of the job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this that have read all those articles about like, oh, you got to get an early start to the day. You got to wake up at 3 a.m. and get to the gym. That is not me whatsoever. I am an eight-hour sleeper. My schedule is 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. I get the good eight hours. But I definitely do not wake up in the morning. I am not a morning person. I only wake up in the morning unless I absolutely have to. And it has. I will say that I don't think that it has ruined my success in any way. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, based on your resume, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, on an as-needed basis. There you go. <laughs> So, I mean, let's go through the rest of your day then. I mean, obviously your MSG hockey show. So just let's go. You, you're waking up at noon, slugging some coffee. What else is next? So if it's uh, for, uh, in terms of preparation for the show, uh, really what happens is uh, preparing for the show, the show happens once or twice a week. So if it's a show day, then pretty much all the preparation for the show has been done. The, the preparation for the show really happens a few days, uh, the days leading up to the show. So any sort of interesting stories that we see in the world of hockey or anywhere else that we can relate it back to hockey, I will communicate with our producer um, at MSG Network and we'll just go back and forth. And, and it's not just me doing this. It's also the other co-hosts, um, Anson Carter, who played in the NHL, and Will Reeve, who's also a sportscaster. Uh, the three of us host this program. And uh, we'll just bounce ideas off each other. And the the basic premise of the hockey show is uh the lighter side of hockey just just uh fun stories interesting things great debates so we're taking the x's and o's out of uh, uh out of the conversation so we're not really talking about statistics and things like that we're talking more about uh the interesting fun things that happen around hockey and so for example one one debate that we saw from the sports world that we brought back to hockey uh, on the last program was uh from football the coach of the buffalo bills decided to take out all games from the locker room. So there was a pool table, there were video games in the locker room, and the new coach said, I'm taking all of this out. I want to have uh, a serious vibe in the locker room. Uh, I want to create a winning culture, and this is one of the decisions that I've made. So we brought it back to hockey. And the first thing I did was I asked Anson, who played in the, in the league for several years, uh, how do you feel about this if, uh, the, if you were told suddenly, hey, you can't be on your phone in the locker rooms, or you can't do any games, you can't do anything like that, uh, nothing in the locker room, uh, even though you're adults, this is what the coach wants. 
And uh, he wasn't too happy about it. So he gave his opinion, uh, which was great. Like that, that kind of debate uh, is very interesting for our viewers. So uh, that's the kind of thing that happened. So basically, uh, on an off show day, uh, I'm collecting stories like that. I'm doing things like that. Uh, but on a show day, I'm just my, my biggest decision really is uh, what color should my pocket square be and then <laughs> making sure I get to get to studio in time. Got to look good. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned, obviously, Canada uh, with the hockey. Let's rewind a little bit, just kind of go. Let's start with uh, right out of high school, uh, going to university. Let's talk about that, and we'll go from there. Sure. So I grew up in uh, just outside of Toronto, Ontario, in a city called Oakville. Uh, so uh, a great city, a lot of fun. Uh, high school's fine. I uh, caught the bug uh, unknowingly for broadcasting by doing the morning announcements. So I was the guy who... <laughs> would tell you uh, where to go and things like that. Uh, you know, like, hey, there's a fourth period is canceled today due to this, or uh, the high school football team is playing on the field at this time, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, but Knowing I, your personality, though, I, I can't imagine you just stuck to the script there. <laughs> Were you kind of letting some, some free-flowing ideas come out there during high school? I was really shy. I was <laughs> extremely shy in high school. I, I didn't get out of my shell until probably the 11th grade be honest with you i was really shy uh i just did not grow up uh as an extrovert so uh i i, I didn't get out of my shell till later in life so so the, the announcements were a little dull i'm sure uh but they got a little better as time went on let's put it that way so uh after that i went to school um i i didn't pursue broadcasting till later in life i went to school for math i i went to the university of waterloo i got a degree in mathematics and business administration i thought i was just going to work a corporate job and uh so when i graduated i worked in the corporate world i worked for dun and bradstreet for a couple of years i worked for a couple of startups as a project manager uh one of those jobs a startup job i was traveling all, all around north america i went to panama uh different places like uh meeting clients and helping them and it was great i was enjoying that i mean imagine someone in their early 20s uh, traveling for work that's almost like a dream right like that's a lot of fun so um i guess in that time i had still been dipping my toe in the media pool unknowingly but i always thought it would be a hobby so what i was doing was i was going to work but then during nights and weekends i would spend time at the local public access channel and i went there and i said hey can i learn here can i uh like this world fascinates me even then, I didn't think this would become a job. I just thought that it would be a hobby or a passion. I loved it. I knew I did, but I never thought that I could make a primary career out of it. So I went to the public access channel and I just said, hey, can I learn? Can I uh, see what the director does today? Can I see what the camera operator does today? Can I see what the graphics department does, the audio department? Can I uh, shadow one of the hosts? And the public access channel, it was called Rogers TV, they said, uh, you can do all this, but you got to do something for us. Uh, do you have a driver's license? I said, yes, I do. They said, okay, you have to drive this uh, community cruiser van. So it's like one of those, like, I don't know, events vans that goes to random events like local fi uh, 5K charity runs on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. And <laughs> yeah, and there was a tent at the back of the van to set up and basically give out like little uh, toys and pens uh to people they'd spin a wheel and in whatever it landed on they would uh they'd get a prize exactly how you want to spend your weekend right <laughs> i mean yeah oh joy <laughs> so but i did that for a year and i didn't care because i i was able to go and learn about television and what i didn't know is that all along i had this dream to i knew that if it was ever an opportunity i would have loved it i mean i had this desire uh, to be in broadcasting and very specifically, I grew up a fan uh, of WWE. I was a big wrestling fan growing up, and uh, one of my uh, the people, the pe one person in particular that I looked up to uh, was Mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> he was like he had like the coolest job in the world when I was growing up. It was like I can't believe this guy gets paid uh, what I assume to be uh, uh, a livable salary to talk to a wrestler and commentate on matches and just present pro wrestling is like wow this is amazing so he really uh he was really like the person i looked up to and and sort of the job that i would have loved to have and so 
uh, when I, I guess uh, I got to a point in my corporate world that I was just miserable and it just was affecting quality of life and I just wasn't having fun and like, I was making decent money, but I just wasn't happy. Right. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to, uh, give this a chance. By then I'd been volunteering for, uh, I want to say probably three or four years at this point. So I knew a lot of the people and I knew that there were opportunities that I had to pass by because I was working in the corporate world and yeah, they were less paying, but they could have led to something. So I woke up one day and I quit. I said, I, I gotta, I gotta go pursue this. And I was 27 at the time, which is like extremely late to begin, you know, fully investing and pursuing your dreams, but you got to do it. Like, otherwise I would have looked back on my life and I would have said, man, like I wasted, I even look back today, uh, you know, 10 years later. And I say, I wish I had started earlier. Right. So, uh, but I definitely am happy that I did start and I did try. So, uh, so that became, that basically began the journey of trying to navigate through broadcasting and pursuing the dream. Well, I definitely want to jump into in a few minutes here about taking that jump. But one thing I absolutely love is first off, mathematics degree from Waterloo, which essentially is the MIT of Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive to begin with. And then here you've got a great corporate job, great salary. And then you're volunteering your time three to four years for something you love. I, I think today so many people are so concerned with, I've got to completely quit my job if there's something I'm passionate and want to do. And here you're building experience, building contacts at the same time. So that was just kind of great to hear that. So I got to hear more about this mindset for finally taping, taking the jump. I know a lot of people uh, around that age, 27, 28, they want to do something else, pursue something else. So I guess kind of what allowed you to finally take that jump and go on this journey? So when I look back on it, that's a very good point you just made there. You don't have to, if you really want to pursue something, you will make it work within your schedule. I firmly believe this. So you don't have to commit to something 100% until you are confident that this is 100% exactly what you want to pursue. and also that you can see a light at the end of the tunnel. So at that moment, when I decided I wanted to pursue it full time, I had to make, I had to not only make the decision that I was going to dive into it head first, and I was going to invest all of my resources into it, but also that I was comfortable giving up the cushy, uh, easy road per se, the one I'd already traveled, right? The one that I went to school for, and the one that uh, afforded me a decent life and a good salary. And I was willing to give that up, right? So uh, I had made that decision in that, at that time, but it was across a long time. And I didn't realize that by going to volunteer all those years, it really burned to fire in me. Like it made me want to do that. So it took me a while to realize that I needed to completely surround myself with this. And that was after getting some good advice as well. So you, so another thing was while I was volunteering uh, for, for those three, four or five years, whatever it was, I was gaining valuable advice and mentorship from people who were in the industry full time. And a lot of the advice I got was in order to make it in this particular business, you really have to dive in and you really have to give it an honest chance uh, fully. And, you know, it's very rare for somebody to make it. Uh, while holding a full-time job and then doing stuff on the weekends. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that do that and basically get their fix or feed the uh, uh, scratch the itch by doing stuff on the weekends. Maybe they do a podcast on the side or or whatever it is. But if you want to do this full-time, then it's going to be extremely difficult for you to do that. So I had been hearing this from several people. I've been volunteering and gaining people's trust and being enamored with the environment and really enjoying it and loving the people that I was meeting and working with and all the while not liking so much the work that I was doing in project management and saying, you know, this is not really where my passion lies. So in that moment, that's when I looked in the mirror one morning and said, okay, I got to make a decision. Although it probably wasn't a morning, it was probably like, a, well, actually, no, it was because the corporate <laughs> world doesn't let you wake up at noon. So it definitely was a morning. <laughs> Got you. Now, some, some valuable insights there. Uh, I mean, one thing, it's, it's also interesting that you mentioned when you take your first TV job, 
uh, you're making about $50 an episode. And mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you seem someone willing to take risks, but they're almost calculated risks where you've put in all this time and sweat equity and learning the business. And I, I feel like you deep down must have a lot of self-confidence. Is that true? Well, you have to, you have to, uh, believe that you're going to make it and you have to believe, I mean, uh, positivity is a big thing. You have to, you have to just believe and putting the thought out into the universe, you know, like I know a lot of people might be listening to this and being like, ah, I don't care for things like The Secret or I never read The Alchemist or anything like that. But I definitely subscribe to the camp of people that would uh, digest those books and say, you know what, who is it hurting and what is it? Uh, det- why is it detrimental to even believe like that? Because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you. And honestly, people can smell that stink on you. So I would never give I would never want to give anybody a reason to doubt you. So even if you and your head are just repeating it over and over again, I deserve this job. I'm going to nail this audition. And I actually did that. I mean, I'm fast forwarding here, but I've had several auditions with WWE before I actually made it there. And the last audition, I actually flew from Vancouver. I was working in Vancouver at the time, all the way across the country to to New York City and then a, a car to Stanford. And I was just repeating in my head, over and over again. It was like, I woke up at five in the morning. I got to Stanford at, I don't know, it was like 2 PM or something due to the time change, whatever it was. It was a five hour flight. But like most of that travel time, I was just repeating in my head, I'm going to nail this audition. I'm going to nail this audition. And the reason I was doing that was because the other auditions, uh, well, the first one definitely didn't go so well. The second one went well, the third one went okay. So this one was okay. Like I've, I've had enough already. Like I'm going to nail this one and I'm going to put myself in the proper mindset. So I definitely believe in putting yourself in a positive mindset. I think I got derailed there from what you initially asked me, but no, I love the direction this is going though. (laughs) I mean, so, so you mentioned basically, I mean, this is essentially your dream job, what you mentioned earlier. And then that first interview you said didn't go so well. How, How does someone bounce back from that? So I, I think looking back, I, I received that uh, WWE is a very big opportunity. It's a, it's definitely a, um, uh, life altering type of career. Like it's a big stepping, st- it's a big, um, milestone, not stepping stones, a big milestone in, in somebody's career. So I was looking at it in my head, uh, up until that point, uh, when I decided to pursue broadcasting full time. Uh, I always knew that I had this dream of working at WWE and I said, you know what, this is going to be my end game. This is where I want to work. So I'm going to make this my ultimate goal, my ultimate dream job. I'm also big into setting goals, whether they are uh, short term, medium term and long term. So the long term goal was to make it to WWE. So I always decided, okay, what decisions do I need to make in my career in order to get myself closer to this particular dream? So my first audition with them, well, let me backtrack. The first time I sent them a demo tape was probably 2006 or 2007. So I was still working in the corporate world, but I did have some on-air experience because on certain nights and weekends, I was allowed to do stuff on the air and someone gave me a good tip about keeping all of the stuff I did on the air. And someone actually was nice enough to make me a sort of a makeshift demo reel and I thought it was amazing. I look back on it now. It was just dreadful. It was the worst ever. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I just had like enough chutzpah to just send this to WWE. Like I, 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 I found the address on, uh, I found the address and I said, okay, I'm going to send this to them. Uh, and so it took probably a couple years before I heard response. I just kept sending them tapes. And finally I received a response and said, okay, we're looking for announcers. So on in this was about 2009 uh so i was probably a year or two into having quit the corporate world so i was nervous wreck like i was a big fan i was uh i felt you know like when you i guess when you uh like the, the the jump was monumental i was still doing public access television and this would be me jumping to WWE, which in my head was the be all end all final destination of your career kind of thing. So I had put that job on a pedestal. And in fact, I had respected it too much. So that's another thing is that, you know, even though you have dreams, you have to make sure that you, uh, you know, manage them in your head so that they don't get the best of you. So that when you do have the opportunity to knock on the door or break the door wide open, you don't psych yourself out. Because in 2009, I was definitely in that position. 
that audition was awful. I hope the tape is burnt. I hope nobody ever sees it again <laughs> because it was so bad. It was really, really, really bad. I cannot stress this enough. So I, I, got, I came home and I said, wow, I guess I'm never going to have this opportunity again. Uh, and so I said, okay, well, I'm going to still make a name for myself in this uh, space. So around that time, I started volunteering at a national network uh, called The Score, which was a, uh, the, the third of three sports channels in Canada. And uh, one day, and this is, another, uh, this is a, a good example of opportunity knocking, being at the right place at the right time. I would have never received this particular email if I wasn't a volunteer or an intern uh, at this company. Uh, and then that led me to getting a part-time job as a producer and then eventually got me on the air. And then this is how I got my break. Literally, the vice president of programming sent an email to everybody in the company and said, we're looking for new show ideas. If you have any ideas, please let me know. And that particular television channel were the rights holders to WWE. And so I always had this thought that if WWE fans were watching uh, the program, Raw, SmackDown, whatever it is, they probably would stick around for a Talking Dead style postgame show. The Talking Dead didn't exist at the, at the time, but it's a perfect example of what the type of show I was thinking of at the time was. So like a postgame show, but the Talking Dead it, it perfectly explains it. So I, I, I filled out this one page form and I sent it back to uh, his assistant and I got an email 20 minutes later saying, come into the office and talk about this. And then this show was born like mo a month later. <laughs> so like it just goes to show you that like it especially and this is one big piece of advice i tell people in broadcasting is if you know where you want to work find every excuse or reason to be in that environment if you want to work for sports illustrated find a reason to be in the sports illustrated building whether you're you're an intern whether whatever it is if that's where you want to work then find a way to get in that building because you if, if that's your place, then you will learn a lot more about that place or find opportunities a lot easier if you're already in the building, you know? So like, that's, that's one of the things that I, uh, definitely tell people. And also if people, uh, yeah, anyway, going back to the opportunity. So the show, the show did well, uh, ratings were good. It's still on the air today. We started in 2009. Uh, I was with the show until 2013 and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of that. I mean, I, it, it's still a show that exists on the air and that's unheard of. I mean, it's 2017 now, so we're coming up, uh, to eight, you know, I mean, in two years, it's gonna be a 10 year anniversary. I mean, that how many shows last 10 years? So like, that's, uh, that's, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, it's pretty cool that it's still on the air. Yeah, that, no, that's incredible. And I, I just love the fact that here you get this email and then immediately you jump on that. You don't sit back and say, ah, maybe I shouldn't take advantage of this opportunity. I mean, it just shows your personality. And the other thing I love and is just getting in the building like you did in your early days when you were still working a corporate job. You got in the building and you learned everything about that because you knew that would pay off for you at some point. And if not, you were just building up this great network, all of these valuable resources. So, I mean, that's just great hearing that, uh, especially for our young listeners, something great that they should be doing. Um, so how do you go then from just getting to the pinnacle of your career, essentially, what you thought with the WWE? I know you've mentioned something, zone of ambition, and I want to hear more about that and what the zone of ambition means to you. Yeah, for sure. I, I will definitely say like, I, I definitely have an answer to what is your greatest weakness? And it's not being a perfectionist. And I know that that's the answer that everybody gives when they're in an interview. Uh, what is your greatest weakness? Oh, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> but that's not really a weakness. You're really making yourself seem better uh, when, uh, when you should be giving them a correct answer. The answer I give for myself is that I'm too ambitious. And it is not to a detriment. It is not uh, to say that I'm uh, you know, jumping over people's toes and mowing people's lawn. Definitely not like that. I'm just a naturally ambitious guy. Now, if I was an entrepreneur and I was working for myself, that ambition would be perfectly fine. But when you're working in a corporate environment, when there are several layers of management, and especially if it's a large company, ambition can sometimes be detrimental. And what I mean by that is you have to know how to read a room. You have to know what level of ambition your superiors expect of you. So when I look back on my time at WWE, even though I got there and I'm very grateful for the opportunity, I essentially should have stayed in my lane. 
if I wanted to survive in that environment, meaning I should have done my work and then I should have, you know, like get, get my work done and then go home type of thing. Whereas I was being very ambitious the way that I've been my entire life, you know, going to different departments and talking to people and uh, trying to look for other opportunities and asking for more work. And what I think happened, honestly, I, I mean, I can't prove this or anything, but I just feel like uh, that could have been a, seen as a negative eventually in the sense that I might have been asking for too much. So, and that could have left a, a negative sort of viewpoint, you know, when I, there's only so many times that somebody can say no. So my big advice to people listening to this podcast is, is be careful how much ambition you show. If there's a green light in the company for you to be as ambitious as possible, then this, this piece of advice does not apply. You show as much ambition as needed because there's a, there is a limit to how much ambition people like. And then there's also a low, uh, it's like, that's why I call it a zone. Because there's a low end and then there's a high end. To me, anybody who has a boss or anybody who has to deal with several stakeholders in their employment in a company, each of those people see a zone of ambition in you. So you are portraying to them or they are perceiving of you a certain uh, level of ambition. And that level should fall between that zone, the high and the low. So you have to make sure that you're showing enough ambition to them that they are satisfied with it, but also not too much that you're getting on their nerves. And I think that this is a fascinating topic because a lot of people always talk about, you know, be as ambitious as possible. Yeah, absolutely. In chasing the job, uh, ambition is great, right? Like in chasing the dream, ambition is fantastic. You have to be ambitious. You have to be passionate. You have to be dedicated and tenacious. You have to be tenacious. But once you get there, you have to read the room and you have to understand the climate of the company and how things work, because that ambition getting you there may not necessarily be the correct course of action to survive. So uh, this, this is different across all companies. I've worked at several companies where pe- they love ambitious people. I've worked at companies where people, they've said, listen, just do your job uh, and do your role. It's very union-like. So like, there's different sort of environments. Now, if you are naturally an ambitious person, uh, you know, consider uh, an environment or a scenario where you can harness and use that ambition. For example, being an entrepreneur, because then you're your own boss and your ambition can be limitless because you're not going to be mad at yourself if you're ambitious. So uh, that's the one big piece of advice that I give. And that's sort of like, I've sort of uh, talked about this in different public areas, this the idea of this zone of ambition that people should uh, be keeping in the back of their minds uh, when they when they navigate through the corporate waters. Yeah, no, that's such a unique perspective and it's a very refreshing one that you just kind of laid out there. So say you have this unbelievable ambition and then you mentioned being able to read the room. What helped you be able to read the room and is your reading of that room different now than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago? Hundred percent, absolutely, it is. Uh, and it came. It all came from experience. It all came from dealing with different types of bosses. It all came from uh, dealing from different types of situations, companies large and small. Obviously, when I worked for smaller companies, ambition was a was an asset. Uh, it was very welcomed, and there wasn't level different levels of red tape or different levels of uh, approval to go through to uh, get things done. So. Uh, the larger the company is, of course, the larger uh, number of stakeholders or the number of approvals you need to receive for certain ideas and whatever the case may be. So, uh, or uh, the, the, the number of people that sort of expect certain levels of ambition from you, right? So because there's many different people that have an investment or stake in your employment or your success or lack thereof in a company. So you have to be very aware of that and you have to you you can even literally make a list who has uh my career uh in their minds who uh would control the fate of my uh career who decides things on my behalf who are my direct reports like either make a mental list or even a physical list write it down these people in the company who would have any sort of sway or any sort of impact or um 
yeah, on your career and, and where, and, and what kind of person are they? Are they the type of person that, uh, in, are, is interested in seeing ambition from it, from their employees, or are they the type of person that likes when people do their roles and do them very well? Uh, that these are diff- these are things you should definitely be thinking about and writing down and assessing because, uh, like I said, these people have control or a sort of view on your career and can definitely impact it. I mean, I take it you're one of those guys that every 25 minutes just has ideas flowing through their head. So describe and talk to us about how working for MSG Network, MSG Hockey Show, how you control your ambition, or do you find ways to get your ambition out in other things you do outside of the TV? So that, that's what I ended up learning was uh, what I was doing was I was channeling all of my energy into work. And what I really needed to be doing was to have something that I could control fully outside of work. So what I found that worked for myself was I'm a very ambitious guy. I would call myself a hyper ambitious guy. So what can I do to harness this and not let it uh, be a detriment anywhere? And the answer was, well, you have to start doing stuff outside of work, whether it's a hobby, whether it's um, whatever it may be that you can harness that outside of the uh, work confines. If I need to complete my job to the best of my abilities at work, and that is all that is expected of me, and that is all that I should be doing, then I still have ambition left over to use it elsewhere. So uh, one of the things that I picked up uh, very nerdily was hockey analytics. So I started to learn about hockey analytics, and I thought that this world was very interesting, and it was using my math degree again, coincidentally. And I said, hey, this is a lot of fun. So I started to learn about uh, all the different analytics that are being used and talking to people in the industry. and 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 actually, it worked out in a sense because I'm back into hockey now, and I can actually use some of this uh, on the air, which is great. So that was one thing that I did that I said, okay, I'm I can you know learn, put as much effort or time into this as I want. Uh, another realm was esports. I just dived into learning all about esports and how that works and the rise of it and the business end of it. Why are all of these sports teams investing in esports teams and who are these esports players and how do they train and how, why are they, what, what are their career spans like? I, I got fascinated in that world. So I started to dive into that. So definitely uh, my big advice, uh, which is a great point that you just made there. My big advice is if you're in a situation where you feel like you can't, uh, put out as much ambition at work as you want to, and you have all of this ambition left over, uh, and you don't want to convey that at work, definitely you got to find something on the side that's going to spend all of that energy, uh, whether it's physical, like you're going to the gym, or you have a hobby, maybe you like vinyl, or you pick up an instrument, or whatever it is, get ambitious about that and spend a lot of time focusing on that. And that and, and looking back, that's what made uh I, I had no qualms about ambition when I was working in the corporate world because I was working the corporate job, but all of that ambition uh was seen as favorable and spent on nights and weekends at the public access channel because that's where all of it was going. And I felt like I was scratching the itch there. So uh it's kind of funny that that, that is where I think, and, and now I'm getting into that groove too. Like today, I'm definitely finding that balance, and I'm definitely at a better space in terms of, uh, you know, being able to manage this a lot better. So it's just funny that you know when you're rising up, when you're chasing, you know, they say the the chase is often uh, better than than the catch. Uh, it's just funny that that's that's when I felt like looking back on it, where it was the most perfect scenario, so to speak. No, I mean, I've experienced and felt the exact same thing. So I think for our listeners, that's just great. Uh, And then you mentioned just transitioning from the WWE into hockey. Can you kind of talk about that transition and and how was that both personally and then also from your own ambitious standpoint? So one thing that I did know is that uh, I'd always heard about this. Like I was uh, on top of working at the public access channels, I was 
volunteering time and and I became a promoter in the local pro wrestling scene uh, in Toronto, which is a very random job to have, but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed meeting people in the industry and 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 different wrestlers and things like that. So basically, any wrestlers that you know either used to work at WWE or coming up in the ranks trying to learn or trying to make WWE themselves as a wrestler, uh, we would put on local independent events in the Toronto area. Uh, you know, that would attract maybe anywhere from 50 to 200, 300 people, whatever it was, uh, people would come and watch these people perform. And so, uh, through there, I would always learn that WWE, like I always figured if I made it to WWE or whatever your dream job is that you're just going to stay there and it just, you get the job and then you get it for life. And what I quickly learned was that is definitely not the case at all. Uh, I, I was there for two years and honestly, two years is, is decent. It's not bad at all. I thought, uh, when I got there, realistically, maybe I could stay there for five and then maybe I'd find a job behind the scenes that would make me stay there a little bit longer. But, uh, two is not bad. That's, uh, honestly, people there, there are a whole list of people that lasted a whole lot less than that. And, uh, that's the way that it is. It's just a very, very volatile environment. So. Uh, one thing I did do, which I thought was very smart as well, was uh, what else would I dream about? What else would I be happy considering a dream job? And I said, you know what? I would be happy doing uh, sports as well, just as happy as I would uh, working at WWE. So while I was building up my on-air rapport, I was doing a lot of sports. So that was one of the things that the uh, public access channel afforded me was I could do every sport under the sun. I could do play-by-play. I could do color commentary even, I can do hosting, interviews, uh, studio programs, whatever it was for hockey, soccer, badminton, table tennis, lacrosse, uh, football, you name it, I did it. And that was the best training I could have ever gotten because I was hitting the ground running, learning how to prepare for games, whatever it was, I was definitely uh, getting a trial by fire, which was amazing. It was definitely the best learning experience I could have ever asked for. And through that, I learned that I really enjoyed hockey. I did it for several years at the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League, and then the AHL, the American Hockey League, which is the feeder system to the NHL or the farm team system. And I loved it. And I said, I think that if I did hockey, I'd be very, very happy. So now with this opportunity with the MSG Hockey Show and doing some games with the New Jersey Devils as well, uh, it's a blast and I love it. And if this uh, continues on like this, I'm a very, very happy guy. And, that, and I'm very glad that I did that. Uh, I did that earlier on because I have the experience. And that's the other thing that I, that I tell a lot of people is get as much experience as possible. You know, make those do those decisions early. Do as much as you can, because all that stuff still helped me get to. Uh, what what I thought my dream job was at the time was WWE. Like it helped me get there because it was getting experience in front of a camera. But then it also made me realize I have these passions in these places as well that I can pursue. So I'm not just pigeonholed into one thing. I mean, I have to just commend you for your passion and just how that comes off on air and, and basically everything I've seen you do so far. And then just your ability to adapt. I mean, you constantly are adapting and you are just constantly learning. And I think if there's one huge takeaway for our guests today, that's without a doubt to constantly be learning and always just finding that next new thing. So that's great. Uh, I love hearing about that. So I've got a few uh, just kind of more interesting questions I would love to hear um, from you about. So any complete failures you've had while on TV? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> I've had so many. Oh, man. Well, I'm trying to think. Like I, I've had like the prompter to shut down. And then uh, you just have to pick up and go from there. Um, what have I? Uh, I've, I've said I've mispronounced a lot of things. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of one. I'm pretty sure uh, one time I mispronounced the Anaheim Mighty Ducks as the Anaheim Mighty Dicks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did that once. Uh, that was just on a, on a studio. I think it was a um, is a smaller uh, cast. <laughs> but it happened. It's there somewhere. Fortunately, uh, for sure. it was smaller. <laughs> everybody has one of those. Everybody has one of those, uh, which is which is awesome. Uh, but oh yeah, screw-ups happen all the time, all the time. I, I've had a lot of uh, interruptions too. Like I remember, I was outside a UFC event in Montreal at the Bell Center, and this is why I uh, dread doing, especially at events like these, because people are just drinking. They're getting drunk. They're going to they're going to a, an event and. I'm doing like 
live hits or th- luckily this one was taped but i was doing like hits outside of the uh arena hey we're here and look at the fans are all excited and and i was doing like streeters so i was talking to people there there was this one guy that kept walking into the shot and he would walk between me and my guest and the camera so he's walking back <laughs> and forth and he knows what he's doing he's obviously ruining the shot like he so we had to restart it two or three times and there was nobody like that. That's why it's usually good to have like a floor manager or, or somebody there with you as part of the team so that they can sort of like stop people from doing this. But we didn't have that. It was a bare bones crew. It was just me and a camera person. So finally, what I did was he was trying to walk again and I stuck my leg out. Like imagine me holding my leg in the air so that he couldn't walk through. And then he walks into my leg and then he turns to me in the middle of the interview and he's like, hey, you kicked me. That's assault. You're an asshole. Like he was like yelling at me. And I was like, oh man, like stop with this. Now I thought I didn't know about like, this was only a, a, couple, a year or two into working for this company. So I took the, the, um, I took the tape back, uh, to studio and like my boss's boss, uh, saw the footage because it, it, it had been making its rounds and the buzz around the office and whatever. And it made it all the way to the owner of the of the station. <laughs> and so I was doing my work one day and the owner of the station comes down and goes, hey, so uh, heard you had a little altercation there in Montreal. And I was like, oh, man, this is not going to be good at all. And then he goes, should have just punched him in the face <laughs> and then walked away. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah. I- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was all fired up and I was like, all right, back to work. Oh, that's great. What about the uh the most fascinating person or, or your favorite interview of all time? Oh, favorite interview of all time. Uh who was very interesting? Uh let me think. Oliver Stone was very interesting actually. He was he was a lot of fun. I I I worked in weather for about a year. Uh, which was very random. It was very much like a weathertainment kind of thing. I was doing like a light, uh, on a morning show, doing the weather, but also interviewing like uh, different uh, uh, celebrities that would come into town. This was in Vancouver. And uh, Oliver Stone was in town for some sort of uh, talk. And uh, the way he talked about movies, just like if you'd never been in that world, like I, I never uh, really had ever been on a movie set or anything like that. And so uh, it was fascinating to hear him talk about movies and the way that he saw things and actually how he used weather in movies to create a scene i was like man this is fascinating stuff it's like you should be you should direct movies for a living or something you know (laughs) like it was just really interesting to hear him talk so from an interest standpoint it was definitely that uh i had a lot of fun segments with uh with cake boss with uh, buddy velastro he was a lot of fun uh what i liked about him was he was very willing to just do a lot of fun stuff so like um, one segment we did like a role reversal where he did the weather and I baked the cake and like, we both sucked <laughs> at it. Like they, they, stuff like that was a lot of fun. Um, I'd say those two were a lot of fun. Uh, I, but I will say this too, like a lot of the wrestlers, uh, who make it to WWE are very charismatic because that's their job. They, that's why typically, especially on a morning show, uh, you see them have great segments because they're, they are trained to be, um, as interesting as possible you know with the limited time that they have so a lot of wrestlers are really charismatic and engaging and charming because they have to be because they have to persuade a crowd to either cheer or boo them so uh you know pick a wrestler they they, they're usually going to be fun especially if it's a non-wrestling show they're going to be pretty interesting oh yeah some of those personalities that's for sure uh, what about a dream job? Do you have a new one now on your pedestal that is just would be an unbelievable thing for you to do one time? Yeah, uh, I think I would uh, probably one of the morning shows. I'd probably love to do something like that, like get back into lifestyle. That's probably something that I would love to do. I'd love to have a situation like a Michael Strahan. I think he's got like the best situation going right now in television. Like he has a morning show thing on uh, Good Morning America, and then he also has. Uh, sports that he's allowed to do so he does football coverage like anything like that i love the idea of having like multiple uh multiple things on your plate so you know to do to do sports and then to do lifestyle to have that kind of mix uh, would be fascinating and that probably is what i would love to do with my life right now i'm and 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 i will say this too uh 
you know, when you're pursuing a dream job and it doesn't work out the way you thought it would work out, that's not necessarily a negative. I mean, I have no ill will towards my time for WWE at all. I'm glad I made it. I'm glad I experienced it. And I'm glad it went down the way it did because it allowed me to pursue other things uh, more diligently and realize that that's really, truly where I belong. And so I am having more fun than I ever had in my entire career today. And I'm now, you know, pushing 40. I'm in my mid 30s. So the time for me to, you know, uh, like it, it, you'd think that now's the time to just buckle down and, and, you know, get serious and, you know, thinking about families and whatnot. But truthfully, uh, I feel like more opportunities are coming out of uh, life now than they ever have. And so I'm truly grateful for the path that I've taken and, and how things have unfolded. I look at it very positively and and admirably, actually. It's that mindset you've got. I love that. What about, what are you most passionate about right now in your life? Uh, coffee. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to say coffee, <laughs> probably like eight or nine cups a day. I don't know. I probably have a problem. There's probably some doctor listening to this being like, dude, you're, you should curb the coffee like that. Uh, what am I most passionate about? Uh, that's a good question, man. I, I'm still very passionate about the industry, like very much so. Very passionate about putting together an interesting program. That has never changed. Uh, I'm very happy. Like you have to be in order to want to continue in this field. Uh, this is going to sound really lame to some people, but acts of kindness. I really got into learning about the uh, the helpers high and how people feel when they do good. Uh, there's a science behind it, and I find it very fascinating. Uh, helping others can, in fact, be selfish. And I always tell people this: if you're not the type of person that would like to help somebody else. Uh, consider it from a selfish point of view. When you help somebody, uh, there are happy chemicals that are released in your body, so you feel good. It's almost as if you went and did a workout. You know that that tingle, that that good vibe feeling you get after you complete a workout. You know those those chemicals that are you know coursing through your body, kind of thing. Uh, a similar effect happens when you do something nice for somebody. Whether you buy a homeless person lunch, or you're in a drive-through and you decide you want to buy uh, the order for the person behind you. And you don't tell them who you are, like whatever good deed you do or whatever act of kindness you perform, uh, these chemicals, there's four different types of happy chemicals in your body. I won't go through too much detail. I'm sure a lot of people have already checked out listening to this, but uh, basically the idea is they are generated and they go through your mind and body as you do these acts of kindness. So I've, I've really picked that up lately. And I think that that's also um, a path to happiness and better life. Uh, just a generally better life, uh, just to, to, to have that sort of thought. So that's definitely something I'm passionate about too. Uh, pocket squares, big into <laughs> pocket squares, uh, love to coordinate and I'm allowed to wear uh, sneakers on the hockey show. So I definitely coordinate the sneakers with the pocket squares. So I'll say men's fashion is another one. Showing off that style. I love it. Um, so you mentioned the acts of kindness. Uh, yeah. can you mention a little bit about be a superhero today? Yeah. So basically, uh, I was last summer, uh, I was, uh, I basically, to be honest with you, I took the summer off because, uh, I, I, I was dating somebody who uh, is a teacher and she had the summer off and we just decided, you know what, we're going to travel a little bit. We're going to go see the country a little bit. And, uh, so one of the things that I was, uh, tagged along with that was, you know what, I like, I'm really getting into this acts of kindness world. And I thought there's gotta be a platform for me to, uh, to, to perform acts of kindness, even when I'm sitting at home watching TV. So I said, you know what I could do is I could create a Twitter account or create social media profile and just encourage people. Uh, you know, people always like to receive random mail or random tweets or anything on social media, especially if it's positive. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to create this social media account. I gave it a, a funky name and I said, hey, uh, I'm just going to tweet random people. And that's how it started. I, I wanted to go online and I just searched for acts of kindness on Twitter and saw what people were doing. And I would send a message saying or send out a tweet being like, hey, this is awesome. Good job. Or this is really cool. I'm going to try this myself, you know, and then it just built a very, very small community. I mean, it doesn't have many followers at all, but I enjoy doing it. And I think that's the only thing that matters. If, if the follower base grows and it, if it turns into something awesome, uh, I would love for it to. I'd love for it to be something I do on the side uh, and uh, meet like-minded people and do interesting things. I think one thing that I might uh, pursue is is creating content around kindness, uh, whether it's a podcast or videos or whatever it may be, 
I definitely am going to pursue that at some point in my life. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's be a superhero today or best. I love that. And, uh, we'll definitely get those, uh, those handles up there in the show notes. So Art, I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. How else can my listeners stay connected with you and anything you just want to let them know about? Uh, you can, uh, buy me a coffee at, no, I'm <laughs> I was, I, I'm calling back the coffee, man. The coffee's the running. You're going to get some it. free ones out of yeah, this. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the, the only, Sean, the only reason I did this podcast so I can get free coffee, the free coffee. Yeah. There you go. If you're <laughs> listening Folgers or whatever companies there are, we're going to get you a coffee sponsorship one day. And then I'm going to be the first guest coming on after it. And we're just going to do segments about how amazing the coffee is. I love that See, huge coffee brainstorming. fan. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at ArtoCalTV. And if anybody listening to this uh, is a Twitter expert and can help me actually just get at ArtoCal, uh, <laughs> I would love your help because I, I actually, I feel bad. I think it actually is a, uh, it's not a, a bot or a squatter. I don't think it's somebody that just got that account to sit on it. I think it actually is somebody. Uh, but I always look at that account and I'm like, oh, that's the one that got away. Uh, so that's why the TV's at the end, because they couldn't think of anything else. Well, what got you the hair of nation? Let's get on them and make sure we can get that account. <laughs> yeah, right. Awesome. Well, this was a ton of fun. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and best of luck with uh, MSG Hockey Show and everything you're working on. So thanks so much. Thank you, Sean. What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with Sean Delaney? What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.